going to get your Bibles out and let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Appreciate everybody coming out and uh, joining us for our midweek Bible studies. We continue on this uh, theme of stewardship, this idea of, of um, being managers, wise managers with all the things that God has entrusted to us. Uh, tonight, we're going to focus on um, kind of a broad topic. I feel like it'd be a good follow-up to what we talked about on Sunday. Does anybody remember what, uh, what the stewardship lessons were about on Sunday? Opportunities was one of them. Mm. Well, I think love was a big part of one of them, but that wasn't exactly it. Evangelizing, okay. I know I had opportunity for the for the sermon. What about for Bible class? Energy. energy, great job, energy. Remember, Josh had uh, this idea about it. I wasn't gonna let anybody off the hook. I'm like, somebody's gonna learn. Somebody's gonna remember, right? It's a long week already. That's okay. Energy and opportunity, right? So you go to bed, you're going to be thinking about those two topics. Well, a follow-up lesson tonight is going to be taking those two ideas and kind of smashing them together, but also thinking about this idea of life in general. Life in general. I don't exactly know, I, I don't remember the details, but I remember uh, one of my buddies who had a, um, a lesson assigned to him at Bear Valley, and he had this idea or this topic about uh, the brevity of life. And he had uh, looked up and searched about how many people die and how often per second. And his intro, I remember, he was just clicking his hand, talking away. And after he had counted 30, 30 times, he had, he had, he had um, done the math of how many people died just in those 30 seconds of clicking his finger. So many people meet their end, meet their, uh, the end of their journey here on this earth, and are they prepared for it? And that's what I want to talk about tonight as we kind of think about what I'm doing with my life and maybe how I may be um, maybe using it in wise or unwise ways, right? Either way, we're all trying to grow in these areas of being better stewards. But Solomon, I wanted to go to something that Solomon had to say about it because it's always, number one, it doesn't make sense the first time you read it. You ever read some of the wisdom poetry or the literature? You're like, I got no idea what he's saying. And then you sit down, you study, and you, you kind of meditate on it. You look at different versions. You do your diligence. And then, man, now it makes sense. And then you start to piece why he's saying things the way he's saying things. Well, in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12, but we're going to hone in really on the middle part of this, uh, of this passage now, before we get into this, I want to make sure there's, uh, there's something mentioned. That Solomon is not discussing the afterlife for one's eternal abode or where they're going to live in this section. He, he's not making theological statements. He's just making very, just, just at a glance, I'm just going to shoot it straight with you. And from the view of those who are alive... He's going to make these statements and observations, okay? So um, don't read in too much into theological statements and say, well, that sounds like it's contradicting this and that. No, um, 
just try to think of where he's coming from here because he's been weighing this idea of, remember, vanity of vanity. Life is all what? Vanity. It's meaningless, right? And then he, he kind of has this, whoa, that's pretty powerful, Solomon, in the, in the beginning. And then he gets into why he's making that claim. But the focus is on what a person does with the life he's been given. It's funny, Josh and I have had this conversation with uh, some of our friends that, uh, that hang out and sleep in this area, and um, we were talking about one time um, just our view of those who are homeless um, and, uh, and how we've come across people who have chosen that life and those who haven't, right? And, and there's never really one set uh, group of people. It's like a mix, but, um, you know, we ask those who we kind of get close with, you know, I'll ask them, well, what's the deal here? You know, um, what can I do to help you? Like, not just feed you once, but is there anything we can do to help you get on your feet? And, you know, to our surprise, some of them are like, nope, we're okay. We're all right. And, and um, some of them, it's almost like you, you start to understand that some do choose that life. And obviously some don't, not all of them do, but some of them do. What, what about us? Do we choose our life? Solomon seems to, to say that, yeah, it's our choice on what we do with it. Now, I may be, at, uh, be given a, a set of cards that's a lot different than brother or sister so-and-so, but what do I do with that set of cards? That If I'm awake and I'm able to function and I got my legs working and my arms working, Solomon's going to say, well, do something with your life. Get to work. Love people. Go get married. Um, be, be, be what God made you to be. And he's going to encourage us to do that. And then, um, and I want to tie that in at the end with how does that affect our stewardship with our life, our, what God has entrusted. And, and really, he's going to use this phrase as it's a gift, that life is a gift. Uh, Donald, you had something, brother. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, homeless. And just an observation that uh, I, I have been homeless for mm. some years. And uh, uh, most of us wanted to be out there drink or you mm. drugs, and it's either those two things or mental problems. Right. So at very seldom, rarely have I come across somebody that was out there that uh, through circumstances, you know, lost their home or something. Mm. One time I did. And, uh, Interesting. Yeah. So most of them want to want to be out. Right. Right. So. Yeah, a lot of us may, may be, have been in that situation. By God's grace, uh, we've been able to, to see that uh, there's a lot that God has in store for me. There's a lot, a lot of purpose out there, a lot of love that needs to be shown by me. And uh, again, maybe utilizing our talents that God has blessed me with. But um, we'll get into kind of a, a lot of that as we work our way through. But again, just to remember that, um, that he's not discussing theology. It's just life at a glance. And he's making some... some um, observations and statements here. Starting in verse number one, uh, somebody uh, read that for us. Uh, verse number one through verse five, please. For I considered all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred. By anything they see before them, all things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. 
But as it, as it is good, so it is the sinner. He who takes an oath as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, madness in their hearts. While they live and after that, they go to the dead. Okay, let me stop you right there, actually. Um, Verses 1 through 3, he's making a comparison, right? What two groups is he comparing? The righteous and the unrighteous, right? And what's the, what's, the, um, what's the observation he makes? Whether you're righteous or unrighteous, he says the same what? The same end. Does anybody have a different word? Fate. Does anybody have destiny? The same event? What do you think he's talking about? Because the same whatever happens to them both. What is that event? Death. It doesn't matter if you're evil or righteous, you do what you want, or you're at the temple sacrificing and making oaths. It doesn't matter because you're going to die. Both people are going to die, and he's going to make a statement to say God treats us all kind of the same. There's, there's no, um, and there's no um, well, here's this person. They're being super loyal and super righteous, and I'm going to either lengthen their days or bless them in a way it's a little bit differently. And, and there are passes, passages in the Bible that talk about God providing blessing for those who seek him, right? He's not contradicting that. What he's saying is, I would, I would probably say it's synonymous with what Jesus says or what the Bible says in the New Testament, that God sends rain on the just and the unjust, right? That life happens to everybody. Life is unfair to everybody. It doesn't matter how good you are or how evil you are. So notice that in your notes, and starting in verse number two, all share a common destiny or whatever that word is, and you can mark that. And then again in verse 3, it says, this is the evil and everything that happens under the sun, the same destiny. So you see a thread happening here. And then at the end of verse 3, he says, and afterward, they join the dead. At the end of verse 3, he gives us what this destiny is, which is death. Does that make sense? And so he makes this uh, observation makes this thesis statement. Now we get into verse 4, and he says, anyone who is among the living, now we're we're comparing the dead and the living now. You're going to see him segue into this. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Notice that. So if you're alive, Solomon says, you have hope. What does he mean by that? Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Interesting. In Eastern culture, um, Near Eastern culture, this idea of a lion, it was majestic, it was powerful, it was, it was even used as a, um, as, as a name, as a nickname for a king or royalty. And then you have this dog over here. And this dog is a scavenger. It's something you, shh, get out, get out of here. Natives do that all the time, right? You kind of shoo it away. You don't, you're not welcome here. And that was also used as a, as a synonym, as a nickname for those who were just kind of scrounging around life. No, they weren't big shots. They really had no value, according to the person that was saying it. But he says, even a lion, even, even somebody that's, that's a, a ruler or a king or, or somebody that has great influence that's dead, somebody who has no value or little value, if they're alive, it's better for them. 
They're better because of why? Because they're alive. And so again, he's elevating this idea of how great of a gift life is. And he says in verse 5, for the living, there's a second time that word comes up here, for the living know that they will die. Interesting. So what's one of the benefits of people who are alive? What does he say in verse 5? You know what? Well, I know I'm alive, but exactly, but I also know what's coming. Death is coming. So what benefit is that to us, church, knowing that we're alive, but death is waiting for me at some point? I don't know when. I don't know where. I don't know how. But what's the benefit of knowing that that's there? Prepare how? Eternally. Salvation. Sure. God's given us our appointed times and places that we should seek and grope for him. Yes, Acts 17. Good, okay. So it allows us to prepare. What else is the benefit of it? Change. Change. Am I okay to be the way that I am forever? Okay. What else? What else would you say? Why is it a benefit to know that death is coming for me? So you can prepare. Okay. We still got preparation here. Anybody else have any ideas? That's right. I'm, that's not wrong. Just Kind of make us think. Share the gospel, okay? Daniel? Make the most of my life. I'm going to live today. Right? Is there anything that... Um, let me ask this. Is there anything in your life, as you look back, you regret you didn't do something in your life? Somebody kick us off. What's something, if you're willing to share... As you look back, you're like, man, I really wish I did X, Y, or Z. Well, I think many people live with regret. Okay. And that's what you don't want to go with your, to your grave with regret. Right. So I think a big one would be forgiveness. Mm. You know, don't go to your grave having unforgiveness. Okay. Because what's it say in Matthew? If you don't forgive yeah. your fellow man, right? God can't forgive you. Okay. So I think that's one that you have time to deal with ill treatment, right? Now, people have done it to you. Okay, that's a big one. Regret not forget, not forgiving a certain somebody. Maybe their time has come and they're gone and I don't have that chance anymore. Okay? But that's just something that you've regretted in your life. You can't go backwards to fix. It's just kind of there and, oh, I should have did it while I had the chance. Yes, Patty? My mother lived with us for 25 years before she died. One time she read a book and she wanted me to read it. And I was teaching ladies' class on Wednesday night. I was involved in all this stuff and I did not read that book. Mm. And that she asked me to more than once. I wished I would have done it. Yeah. I mean, I have a real regret. Okay. Okay. Spend time with your family. Spend time with loved ones while I have the time. Right? As young kids, you know, you have this idea of. Grandma and grandpa's always going to be there. If you were blessed with having grandparents, wasn't that kind of always there? I'm going to have time for grandma. I'm going to go out with my buddies right now. You know, rather than taking the opportunity of, of getting dumped off with them for the summer or something, you know, and, and you kind of just hear them and you're around them. And, and now I don't have that chance and I regret that. Arlinda? Um, in college, my third year, I saw a sign that says adult children. Mm. 
Okay. Okay, what about just living life? I think that's the context here. Of course, all of that is, is, is important. And you learn from it, and you teach the younger ones, and, and you try to help them avoid the mistakes we made, right? But in the context, he's talking about just, just living. What about taking that chance of trying out for a team? That's mine. Or taking that chance of going on, on, a, on a trip that takes me out of this country to go travel. Or decide uh, what I wanted to do before we decided to have kids and we had to settle down and, and our life was going to be a little bit different. Not, not to say that that's bad, but are there regrets of just living life that's, that we sometimes have? And he says in verse number 5 that those who are alive, they have hope. They're, they're alive. They still have the ability to, to make choices in their life. And in verse 5, he says, um, the living, one of the greatest benefits of being alive is knowing that you're alive, like Kelly said, but also, number two, that you're not going to be alive for very long. It, death is there, and it's waiting. So make the most of today, which is the title of this lesson. He says, but the dead, and he's going to make observations, five observations, which is going to be the majority of our lesson tonight, five observations that the living can see about the dead. Five observations about the dead. Number one, he says in verse number five, the dead know nothing. That's the first thing. So if you're underlining, this is a list here. Number two, he says, the dead have no further reward. Number three, he says, and even their name is forgotten. Number four is in verse six. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. And number five, never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. What does he mean by under the sun? For those that are alive here on earth, right? Those that are alive here under the earth. When I'm dead, I can't, I can't be involved with, with this. I can't, uh, now things have changed. Again, he's not trying to get into anything theological about what happens after life. He's just saying, once I'm dead and I go, I'm no longer here. I can't participate. And, uh, and he's making five observations. And that's what we're going to go through uh, tonight. Number one, the dead do not know anything <coughs> that takes place with the living. You know, I think, unfortunately, some false doctrines have been based on this statement thinking he's making theological observations. And, and some have even misunderstood Solomon to say that the dead are unable to think because they've been annihilated, right? This, this I'm ceasing to exist, right? Have you ever come across somebody that believes that? That once you die, that's it. You, you don't feel, you don't think, you don't, nothing happens. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that the deed, the cease, the, the, the dead are unaware of what is transpiring here. You think about Luke, uh, Luke 16 with uh, Lazarus and, and what he does with, uh, and, and what the Bible says is, as the person that's in, in, in hell, he's looking up and he's like, man, I've got some brothers. I don't know what they're doing, but if we could just send a message to them that here's where I am. So there's, there's not really a knowledge of that, but he's just saying if we can reach them, then I want them to know what's going on with me. And so the deceased, were, they're unaware. They don't know. <clears throat> Number two, he says, the dead no longer have a reward. What does he mean by reward, guys? Everlasting life. Okay. 
Ever, ever, okay, everlasting life. Does anybody agree or disagree with that? What do, what do we talk about? right now in this life, right? Everything under the sun, which is talking about this current life. So that's the reward, he's saying, is the reward is the living. We get to enjoy this. We get to be a part of God's creation and His plan. And he says that the dead, I don't have that ability. My reward's different, right? But again, he's not talking about that. Really, that's not his point, but the reward of just being here, right? Uh, in other words, profitable activities in which we are engaged with, when people die, no longer can they profit from them. They can't benefit from them. They're not a part of what's going on. Yeah, Chris? And I forget what the verse is, but um, there's also one where he talks about life, how your marriage is your reward. Mm. Um, like just being married and spending that time with your wife on this It's just board. a little bit further down there, Chris. It's yep. a little bit further. He talks about that. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the right track. Yeah, you're <laughs> in the right place. Okay? So even enjoying marriage. What are some things that, I, that, that may you've observed that so many people forget to enjoy? Russ? I think uh, so many, it doesn't matter the topic, so many people are just negative. Hmm. They're not enjoying this life. Is that not the truth? Negative, man. How are you? Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> and you regret saying hi to them to some degree. Like, man, I should have went this way, you know. I, I don't want that, you know. Did you go to work today? Yeah. <laughs> is that a good? But I thought it was a good thing, you know. So I'm just gonna say working is good. But I'm complaining, and I'm I'm woe is me, and I'm. I'm bringing that negativity around, and I would ask, why are you working there then? Right? Why, why are you pers pursuing that? If that's how it makes you feel, okay? This idea of just being negative in, 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 in all kinds of ways, CQ? I have a coworker. He gets there early with me every day. And uh, I always say, good morning, and he says, what's good about it? Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, like, the same, like, like three days in a row. And, uh, and like every day I'll say something different. I'm like, today I was like, you're awake. Yes. Like, what's good about that? And I was like, you're alive. Yes. And then it's like, yes. Come on, dude. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to turn us all into the annoying person that's just, uh, calm down. You know, I don't, that's too much. I'm, but changing our attitude, right? Negative thinking is not biblical, church. It is not. God did not design us in our brains and in our life for us to see negative things and then be molded by that. It's to see the goodness and His, His blessing and all the things that are great. That I've got family. I, I woke up and I've got a comfy bed. And, you know, I, I, I have a home and a be. I have children. You know, um, they're all girls and that's fine. I wish I had a boy, but I've got girls. You know, and I'm able to come here and I do what I love. Or is it everything that I don't have? And if I start to view life that way, what does that lead to? Viewing everything I don't have or things that are not going right, what does that lead to? Ungratefulness, ingratitude. What else? Discontentment. So if I'm discontent, ooh, look what brother so-and-so has. I begin to covet. Do I not? I begin to... 
to, 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 to want that jealousy, envy. And now I'm pursuing this and, you know, man, your wife does that. My wife doesn't do, you know, and I start to, it, it, in all kinds of ways. And Solomon's saying, there is so many things to be thankful for. So the dead, number one, they don't know anything that takes place with, among the living. Number two, they no longer have this reward of being alive, being, feeling what we're feeling today. And number three, um, he says, the dead have, uh, the memory of the dead is forgotten. This is probably one of the more harsh realities of life, is that a person who dies will soon fade from the memories of the living. Will they not? Now, my family may be good at remembering those have gone on, but you keep going on and keep going on, and at some point, there's not a whole lot of memory of that person. Now, you know, again, over COVID, the COVID deal, I... I went into this Ancestry.com deal, and I started to piece back, man, I put together a whole map of my family tree, I went back as far as I could, I'm calling people, and there was, there was a limit on how much my family knew. I went back to my grandmas and great-grandmas, and they're like, that's all I know about my grandparents, or the memory soon to fade. And that's the thing, he's saying, the dead, as you go on, the memory of you begins to fade. A familiar adage is out of sight, out of mind. Right? To Psalm 31 and verse 12. When David is struggling, he wrote that um, he was forgotten as a dead man out of mind. Psalm 88 and verse 5, he calls himself forsaken. And so this lifetime offers the only opportunity to make an impact for good. Making an impact for good right now. Any thoughts on that so far? Before we get to our next point. Yeah, Chris? I feel like also uh, something like that it, with the whole negativity mindset um, in Christianity is when you go around telling other people about Christ. Oh, being, yes. Why, why would I choose this miserable life you keep saying every morning that you live when I say good morning when, I mean, I just went and did drugs and at the time of life last night and then slept with this woman and this woman. And I come here and I'm doing it again tonight. Yeah. Like, I love my life. Yeah. Well, I do, actually. Do we? <laughs> do we make? I think that's a great point. Is We claim this is the place to be, right? We claim that this is where people need to be, to give their life to Christ. But when people watch me, are they drawn to this life I'm proclaiming? Or are they like, oh, that doesn't look too fun at all? You know, he walks around and he's never smiling. You know, this preacher, he's like just yells at people, you know, and he's never like, doesn't seem joyful. Am I happy? Am I seeing the blessing? Or am I too overwhelmed and, and consumed with the negative things? And, and that's the challenge for us is who do we place around ourselves and how does that feed what Solomon's talking about? Right? If I'm feeding, surrounding myself with people who view life just like what Ezekiel says, I, I would caution people to say, say hi to him, pray for him, but don't hang around him too long, you know? Because, man, it's only a, it's only a matter of time before that kind of bleeds on to me. I'm going to be around somebody who loves life. Again, I'm going to bring up Brother Justin, you know? You could not be around Justin and not just, I'm thankful for what I have. Remember, we were at Bear Valley, and again, 
we're at Chapucha Training School, we, we are living on pennies. We're living on pennies. We don't have much to do, much to spend, because we're living off of support. <coughs> but you know, every once in a while, we would receive in the mail a bag of rice and a bag of beans, just that much. And uh, he would call and say, hey, Brother Evan, how's it going? Hey, Justin, pretty good. I, I mailed you, I sent you some food. Did you get it? I'm like, yeah, Justin, I got it. The, the beans and the rice, man, thank you. He's like, uh, yeah, those, those beans, those are the good ones. They're, they're just the off-brand name. But to him, that was the good beans, you know? And we were talking about beans for 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay, let's change the subject to something. But something small like that to somebody that it means something. You know how many people are not allowed to do what we're doing right now? To have a Bible? You know they have to hide their Bibles. Cannot study it. If they're seen with it, they're thrown in jail. They're dragged out of what we, we, we have the, the ability to do whenever we want. Right? It's kind of... This is kind of with Justin. The first time we ever came, y'all were doing a week-long deal about internet, and it was out at Salt River. And we went, and we went because of some people that support Josh. They said, you got to go to Salt River. you got to go to Salt River. So we went, and I was texting this girl in the middle of that deal, and I sent her a picture to show her that we were at Salt River. And I took a picture of the, and Justin was sitting across from us. And she said, that's Justin. So somebody in Texas had been influenced by his happiness because they, out of everybody else that was in the picture, Justin's the only yes. one that she said he came about. Well, there's a reason why. Yeah. We were blessed to know him. And, and the thing is, what about us? Do we rub off on people and people leave and say, man, that person really values life. That person makes the most of, of things we, we complain about, things that we see as not a blessing, and, and we're talking about what we don't have, whereas people like Justin and, and, the, and, and the way in which they live, it makes you sit there and be like, man, we're so blessed. You know, it gives a different meaning to uh, being dead and being alive. Yes. You know, you can be dead in a grave, but you can walk around acting yes. like a dead person on earth, Yes. too. Know, especially if you find no joy in anything, you know, you want to be Evan Downer or whatever. Right. So. Yeah, that's true. I can me. still have life, and man, I'm acting like I'm in the grave. You know, there's really nothing I'm doing. There's nobody I'm loving on. There's I'm not serving anyone. I'm just serving me. And what's the value in that? You know, what? How, how does that affect? How does that bring any good into? The world that God has placed us in, and I think that's the, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we have the suicide rate as high as we do on the Reds. People are not seeing the value of life. It's what is life all about? It's about to be here to get the shiniest things while I'm here to work myself to death and try to uh, I'm going to try to impress people that don't care about me at all, and and I'm going to bust my tail nine to five over and up? Or am I using that as a, as a stimulator, as a resource to go and love on some people and make a difference there? Right? And so um, 
think that's very important, helping people see the value in life, which is what Solomon, his whole point is, is being hammered away. Any other thoughts or questions? So number four, he says that the love, hate, and zeal of the dead have already perished. What legacy was left? Whether the deceased person was known as a benevolent person showing love to others, or maybe a spiteful person and hateful, the reputation that is unchangeable after death, the dead can neither do or, or undo or redo what was done. Think about that. Your reputation as you leave this world will be left for a while to think about. Others will ponder about you. Do you ever go to a you ever go to unfortunately go to a funeral and, and the person that's in, in, in the casket there, their body, you knew that person. And everything said about them was very different than what you experienced. It's like, yeah, he was a good person and you know where they are now there's no more suffering and and he's and you're just like I didn't get that off of them I really didn't <laughs> you know and and honestly it's like there's a different person that's being talked about but what about the legacy we're leaving behind what about the way our grandkids and our kids talk about me after I'm gone what are the words that are going to that the world around you should be impacted when you no longer live on this earth. It should feel a void. The church should feel a void when we're no longer here because I did so much with what I had. By the grace of God, if I'm not doing anything and my time comes, if I had little to no impact, nobody's going to miss, nobody's going to feel it. They're not going to be impacted by it. But am I living in a way that when I leave, when I leave, it's like, okay, who's going to do this and this and this and this? And we talk about Miss Susan all the time. Why? Because she had a huge impact. And we feel it. And now that she's gone, it's like, okay, guys, big shoes to fill. But we can do it. Any thoughts on that about leaving a legacy behind? I think uh, Solomon said it best when he says the end of all matters is to fear God and keep his commandments. Sure. So... When somebody fears God and keeps the commandments, that's the legacy, is the example. That through thick and thin, no matter what, you feared God and, and lived the way He wanted you to live. So that's, like Paul says, follow me as I follow yeah. God. So that's what we want to do, I think, is to leave a legacy. Yeah. So I was telling Dom when you were asking that, I go, you better do something good where people remember you. <laughs> right. You know, have a monument name, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess those are the people that have scholarships named after them and all kinds of stuff, right? And obviously the motivation is not for me to receive the credit, but if I'm doing what God wants me to do and, and valuing life the way I'm valuing the way He wants me to, I'm going to leave a legacy, right? Yeah, Josh? If I could read this, Evan, yeah. real quick. Yeah. I just, I was looking, you were talking about going through old things. I couldn't remember my great-grandmother and all these. There's an old Bible, and this was left. This was written for my mom when, when she retired uh, and, and left Kayenta. They, they lived there for 24 years. It says, Mrs. Austin, thank you for everything. All the love that you gave us when we were children that never left us. In fact, we all remember everything now that I'm a mom. The first thing that I wanted was to give my children the same chance that I had in knowing such a wonderful person, you. 
Blue Skies and Rainbows was my favorite song because it's about real beauty and nature. And every time that I sang it as a child and as a teenager and now as a young mother, it gave me a sense of well-being, especially in times of sadness and hurt. The best times of my childhood was in church with Fred and you. Thank you. Most of all, though, thank you for loving my children. I knew that when they first saw you, they would fall in love with you, and you introduced them to God, and because of that, they will live forever. We love you dearly, and we miss you a lot. I love you, Marsha Whitehair, <laughs> which is his mom. My mom was there for 24 years, and when they did mission work for 24 years, and they left Kayenta, there were five women that were worshiping. That was it. And within a month or two, the church died. This is one of the cards that was written, and we're sitting here 30-plus years, or no, about 20, 25 years later. And she wrote that about a legacy. My kids, I knew they would love you. Evan is standing right there as a result of, of the impact of one life, right? And now who is he impacting as well? So I wanted you to have that because Amen. your mom wrote that. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that uh, I think Solomon will also allude to is we never really get to see the full impact of our life, do we? I mean, we can have an idea, we can have a vision, we can have, a, a, this is my goal, but when my time has gone on and, and I'm receiving my award, I'm, I'm going to be busy with whatever God has planned for me. But to see how God uses that, Romans 8.28, that God is going to work all things together for good, how does that work? How does that ripple effect take place? Again, it's to His glory and, and by His purpose and, and His plan, but am I willing Am I viewing life in a way that allows me to impact people for generations to come? And, and sure, my name might, might not be there to make that connection with, but it's there. And so how important is that? And Solomon says, the dead, you know, they will not have that, rep their reputation is going to, to continue on while they've gone on, but they can't change their reputation. Once we've made our reputation here and we go on, we can't come back to change it. You know, man, Evan, that guy, he was a lazy guy, man. As much as I want to come back and work my tail off for a good straight hard week to change that reputation, I can't do it. It's set for me. And so that reputation is always going to be there. But while we're living, what can we do? We can change that reputation. We can switch things around to say, sure, I may have had parents that did X, Y, and Z, but I don't have to follow that way. A father that was angry and, and maybe mistreated the wife, and sure, that's all I saw, but, you know, to know that God's going to provide me with other resources to see, here's how marriage is supposed to be done, I have a choice. My mom's an alcoholic, and her mom's an alcoholic, and I can go that way, sure, or I can stop it like Josiah, King Josiah, and I can change it to where I'm choosing life. Too many times it's, that's the excuse we throw out there is, well, that was my mama growing up and that's all I know. 
Read the Bible. There's another model right there. There's another model. His name is Jesus. Follow that pattern. And so there's a choice between the two. Fifth thing he says about the dead, an observation. They will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. This, this life, the ability to move and breathe and, and create good and overcome evil and, and impact lives, this is the reward that we see also in verse number 5. Somebody who's dead can no longer profit from the labor that is done on earth. Right? Real quickly, somebody pull up Isaiah 55, 6. Somebody pull up Isaiah 55, 6. Another person pull up 2 Corinthians 6, 1. And a third person pull up Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. So Isaiah 55, 6. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. And Hebrews 3, 13. Let's start with Isaiah. Let me read that for us. Yes. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he can be found. What is he talking about? While I have the ability to seek God, to choose Him. That's exactly what Ken's talking about here is, while I have today, I want to make sure I'm right with God. Okay? 2 Corinthians passage. And working together with Him, we also urge you to not receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Is it important? Are you going to make use of what God has given to us as a gift? <clears throat> or throw it away and it's meaningless, it's useless. Okay, our last passage. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. While it's today, the Hebrew writer says, I should be doing what? Encouraging. Encouraging one another. While I have today. Tomorrow may come and that person that I really needed to fix things up with may not have that chance again. While I have today. So the idea runs throughout scripture of making the most of today. And as a result, let's drop down to verse number 11. As we, we're just about out of time here. Verse 11. <clears throat> he says, and again, yeah, back to our Ecclesiastes. Verse 11. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. And so as Solomon brings this idea to a close, he brings up another universal principle that what may, be, what may appear to be an obvious outcome somehow takes an unpredictable twist. There's a lot of us that say, yes, so true. We may have plans, we may have ideas of how things should work out. The reality is because we live in this world, in this life, that idea, that plan may fall flat on its face. And I'm sitting there saying, what in the world just happened? And that happens to every single person. Nothing in this life is guaranteed. And so he gives five examples um, of how, that's, how he's going to make that point. Number one, he says, the race is not to the swift. In other words, being the fastest does not guarantee a runner that he's going to win the race. Number two, the battle is not to the warriors. Even the best fighting men may be killed. Daniel, uh, um, uh, David, and Goliath, for example. 
Number three, neither is bread to the wise. The wise still may not have any food on the table. You ever come across a very smart person and they're just making ends meet? You're like, man, you have so many great ideas. Well, you could be a millionaire. Neither is wealth to the, the discerning. A person who is perceptive and makes good judgments will not necessarily become the rich person. And finally, five, nor is favor of men of ability. Those with the greatest ability may not be shown favor here in life. And so he concludes by naming two elements that can upset human plans, time and chance. So what's the point? That man cannot accurately predict anything, and so he must live by faith in a God that does control everything. Because I don't, you heard the phrase, I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. That's the point. Make the most of today. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and that's okay. Well, I'll let that God worry about that. But if I see tomorrow, Lord willing, I'm going to wake up and be just as thankful for life as I am today. Amen? All right. Well, we'll close up. We have